0: everyone this is maggie thompson with generation progress welcome to the leslie marshall show this hour coming up we are going to be talking about college and higher education and what's happening on capitol hill um, there's a lot of nasty stuff but in the second part of the hour there's actually some good bipartisan stuff moving for veterans on the hill so we're really excited to talk about that stay tuned um, here in the studio with me to talk about what's going on with the House Republican budget and what that means for Pell Grants and all the other programs that are really important to us is Sarah Garcia. She's a research associate here at the Center for American Progress' post-secondary education team. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, you know, we talk a lot about some of these programs that... Um, Capitol Hill is considering as part of the the budget right now and Mm -hmm. what they do for people. And one of the biggest things that we've been concerned about um, with our organization is the Pell Grant. So I know there's a ton of listeners out there who probably relied on the Pell Grant to go to school. But can you just talk, you know, from your perspective about why? Pell is really just so important as the cornerstone to our sort of student aid programs.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Pell Grant is one of the most critically important resources that students have, especially low-income students, to go and attend college. Um, You know, in 2015 alone, eight million low-income students attended college with the Pell Grant, uh, which is a huge chunk of folks. And uh, not only that, but, you know, Pell grants are really vitally important for students of color Mm in 2012 61% of black students and 50% of Latino students relied on a Pell grant to go to college so this is like not only important from an access standpoint but an equity standpoint Mm -hmm. a Pell grant is so so important to increase access as well as equity in higher education Um, 62% of women rely on Pell grants to go to college so again it's like one of those things that really is a cornerstone for ensuring that folks who really need to go to college and we're relying on a degree can actually have a shot at getting
0: it totally and one of the things that you said about equity i think that that's just such an important reason why Pell in particular mm-hmm. is a you know a real program because it's, it's an equalizer right yeah. so if you didn't Um, go to a school that had the fancy AP programs or maybe your school district wasn't super well funded. Um, None of that really matters. It doesn't matter if you didn't have those fancy extracurriculars on your resume. This is something that's going to help you get to college.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, it's really crazy that they're going after this program. I mean, it is such an important program.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I know there's a ton of bad stuff in the Republican budget and just looking at the House markup today, there's (laughs) a whole lot to dig into. (laughs) But
2: let's start with
0: Pell because it's the cornerstone. Can you walk us through what the Republican proposal is and what it will do to the
2: Pell program. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, very similar to Trump's budget proposal, uh, the House proposed to sort of freeze the maximum Pell Grant award um, at its current level, which is $5,920 for the next 10 years. Um, And that's super problematic because uh, if tuition trends continue, you know, they're continually rising, um, and the Pell Grant remains frozen at its current level, the max Pell Grant award would cover only 23% only 23% of the cost of attendance by 2026 um, and it's it only covers 30% today so slashing that even more is is crazy it's not really a good chunk of change if you can't really cover the majority of your cost of tuition um, and more than just freezing the Pell Grant the house budget also called to cut 3.3 billion from the Pell Grant surplus which is kind of like a rainy day fund uh, that can cover future cost increases in the program so Um, You know, it's important to know that, like, although cutting that rainy day fund wouldn't result in immediate cuts for students, it would drastically weaken that aid program's long-term stability, which would mean fewer awards in the future and fewer students getting that aid and fewer dollars going to students that need it. Um, So that's... You know, it's kind of where we're at right now.
0: Yeah, and it just, that last part is, is so nuts to me because it seems like this is a program we know works. It's mm-hmm. so important. It's used by so many people and yeah. to, to destabilize it. And, you know, as I understand it, it's something that then would change it from sort of a steady funding stream to something that every single year Congress would have to decide Yeah, how they're going to fund Pell. And they're yeah. going to have a fight about it. And yeah. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm just a little skeptical about this Congress's ability to functionally do that year after
2: year. <laughs> yeah, I would agree
0: with that. But then, I mean, another thing that you said about college costs spiraling—it's mm-hmm. just insane to me that they think, you know, well, we're gonna freeze this aid, and yeah. surely college costs just won't go up because you know. Yeah, they, Not like they haven't gone up over 1,100% in the
2: last 30 years. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, and the buying power of Pell has gone down. You know, back in, you know, 2015 years ago, Pell Grant covered a lot more than it does today. And, you know, it already only covers 30%. So to, you know, to raid those funds is is crazy. Exactly. And I I know that, um, you know, it seems like for a
0: lot of people there is so much going on up in terms of their costs, whether that's healthcare, Mm -hmm. and we know that the Hill is not really helping with that either. Um, And, you know, all of those medical costs, college costs, um, and wages just aren't keeping up. And, I, you know, it seems like this is another thing that is just going to really chisel away at people's
2: ability to... You know,
0: live a middle class life with the yeah. wages that they have.
2: Yeah, this budget overwhelmingly hurts the students with the greatest needs and the students that are the most vulnerable. Um, and it kind of just goes against the mission that we have in higher education to sort you of know, give students that that step into the middle class. Um, and it just doesn't really like reflect our values at all, or the values of, like, what higher education is meant to stand for. Yeah, exactly.
0: Was it... I, I'm forgetting. I might get this wrong. It was a horseman that called education <laughs> the great equalizer. It was,
2: yeah, something you know, like it was, that. We'll it, go with it, that. <laughs> but if if...
0: if more people, especially low-income people, aren't able to access it. It seems like we're just destroying that promise.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the budget kind of comes in my mind like dangerously close to completely shutting the door on access and opportunity uh, for students that need that opportunity mm-hmm. most. I mean, you know, we already hear so many stories of students struggling to to pay for tuition, and they have to work full time to do it. And if we're cutting at that aid, we're going to have more and more students who aren't going to have the opportunity to complete a degree because they won't be. Able to afford it along the way yeah absolutely
0: and if folks have questions um, for Sarah about the budget what this does and what this means um, feel free to call in the call-in number for questions is 888 6 Leslie that's 888 653 7543 and Sarah with this disastrous <laughs> budget proposal I mean this isn't a done deal right this right. is this is the that's house right. process mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I don't I don't totally understand what markup means, but to me <laughs> that uh, means we still have a fight on our hands. Yeah, so definitely. what can people do in order to really um, help protect these programs?
2: De- that's a great question. I think that it's important that... Folks call their legislators and call their representatives and their senators and say, this program is important to me. I rely on these dollars. Share your story. You know, Google local action and town halls and just get make sure that your voice is heard, because, you know, this is something that affects millions of people. And in this case, you know, your voices do matter. So definitely get out there, call, show up to town halls, submit those questions. Uh, it's important that that folks on the Hill hear from from everyone around the country. Exactly. And I think
0: um, and for folks listening out there, if you're like, but where where is my congressperson going to be? Where's where's an event? There's a a website um, where you can go that it has a map of events and actions happening so you can find one near you. And that's just www.resistancenearme.org. And this is just something, I think, that one of the things you said, Sarah, about the power of sharing our stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we have some great numbers um, on your website about how many people in each district rely on these programs and Mm -hmm. how many people would lose these um, supports if they Mm -hmm. didn't have them. So do you have the website where people
2: can can go? Uh, I don't immediately in front of me. I apologize. (laughs) No worries. worries. Um, We'll get it on the break and bring it back. (laughs) Um.
0: Well, I think that one of the things that um, people need to uh, really just be thinking about is the magnitude of... Uh, these cuts and how many people rely on these programs. I think mm-hmm. that a lot of um, representatives are, are low-balling and yeah. underestimating the impact of uh, these these cuts on their districts.
2: Yeah, definitely. Again, you know, over 8 million low-income students use a Pell Grant to attend college, I and mean, you break that down at a district level. That's hundreds upon hundreds in each congressional district that rely on, on these Pell Grants, so it's important. Absolutely. Well, we are going to just uh, take a quick
0: break and we're going to just leave you with this resource, resistancenearme.org. That's a place where you can find town halls. You can find events and actions near you. Um, and again, if you have any questions, please just give us a call. It's 888 6 Leslie. That's 888 653 7543. And we'll be right back with Sarah Garcia. This is the Leslie Marshall Show life liberty and the pursuit of truth the leslie marshall show eight 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 six leslie hey everyone welcome back this is maggie thompson with generation progress i'm here in the studio this is the leslie marshall show Um, I'm here this hour and we're talking about the House Republican budget and specifically, out of all of the bad things it does, (laughs) what it means for higher education and our families and our ability to afford college and pay off our student debt. Um, If you have questions during the hour, feel free to call in. That's 888-6LESLIE. And I've got Sarah Garcia. She's a research associate on the post-secondary committee back from the break. Um, Sarah was just walking us through some of the devastating cuts to the Pell program officially, but that's not all that is cut when it comes to higher education in this budget. Um, but before we start walking through some of that, we have a caller on line one. Um, we've got Ishmael from Manassas, Virginia. Um Ishmael, what's up? Do you have a question?
3: Yes, I thank you so much for taking my call, Maggie and greeting to you guys. I want to say this is a perfect example of how the public want to destroy education. They want everybody to be on a student's alone so they're all of God's gonna you know, make money. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you guys were talking about Betsy Deol canceling the uh, uh, um, adult education, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the night school that that people that borrow money from some uh, uh, to go to night school, and she canceled the the forgiveness program. Right. Right. And it, yeah, and the problem is she has a students loan company. So that's <laughs> she which I don't understand. And she have and, and this could be an example why she's maybe signing on to this because she has a student's own company, a student's loan where people borrow money to go to education. She own a company, so she's benefiting. So it's just absolutely a perfect example of the hypocrisy of Republicans. They tell people lift your bush, you know, lift yourself up, educate yourself, improve yourself, but they cut all these programs. And Paul Ryan. When his father passed away, he benefited from the same program. If he mm-hmm. wasn't for this program, he would not be able to be successful, you know. And, and it's just absolutely ridiculous. And my question to you guys is, what stage are we at right now, and when is when is it going to be in effect?
2: That's a great question. So, luckily, um, as we kind of mentioned earlier, the budget this isn't a done deal. Uh, we have a lot of fight ahead, so we can definitely push back on this. Um, but this is kind of sort of an alarming agenda setting for the things that they're going to try to push through uh, in the coming years. So again, luckily, this is not a done deal, uh, but this is an alarming, alarming sort of set of standards that they're going to try to sort of like live by in the next couple of years when it comes to the budget for higher education. So definitely go out there and, and resist this agenda because it is really terrible.
0: Yeah, and Ishmael, I know we said it before the break, but definitely check out resistance near because that'll have some events. I know there's a lot going on in Virginia, especially. And thank you so thank much you. for the call. Thank you. Well, you know, we talked about Pell Grants, but then Sarah and I were talking during the break about another thing that this uh, budget cuts and something that we both um, honestly probably wouldn't be sitting in these chairs without, without which is the work-study program. Yeah. So, Sarah, can you walk us through what the budget does, but also, um, you know, <laughs> what this did for you, never mind the thousands <laughs> of Americans that rely on work-study?
2: Yeah. No. So, what uh, budget proposals, like especially Trump's budget proposal, sort of put forth was to cut the federal work-study budget in half, um, which is super scary. The work-study subsidizes employment for nearly 700,000 students nationwide, and that includes jobs on and off campus. Um, And it's a a really important way that students get some extra dollars to help pay for classes and books and to just attend college in general. So um, another really critical thing to mention about work-study is that um, it's sort of... If you have work study, you're automatically eligible for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, also known as SNAP, which is a food assistant program, um, like food stamps. And uh, so it's kind of depressing given that, you know, half of college students today struggle with hunger, including many who already receive SNAP Mm -hmm. benefits. So that's sort of another tier of this issue. Um, But work study, you know, much like the Pell Grant is a really important source of funding for me. If it wasn't for work study, I never would have been able to go to college. And I was really fortunate to have uh, a really great experience and the person who sort of vouched for me to get admittance into my college uh, sort of gave me the opportunity for a job to work with him and mentored me um, and sort of advocated on my behalf throughout my college experience. And if it wasn't for that, I would not be sitting in this chair today. And I certainly would never have been able to afford, because uh, I went to a private, a private school, so I never would have been able to afford exactly. tuition. Yeah. No,
0: and it's not, it really, it's, it's, not a lot of money mm-hmm. for every award but yeah. it, i mean these programs are life changing i know for me it's the same way i you know at my college i was able to use my work study to work at a nonprofit mm-hmm. in the city um shout out to wellstone action mm-hmm. grassroots organizing training for young people and here i am uh 10 years later still working to organize young people train them give them the, them the skills they need and that is solely because i got that opportunity through my work study program and 10 years later, my boss at Wellstone Action hired me to work here at the Center for American Progress, at Generation Progress. And I literally would not be here if it wasn't for work studies. So, you know, it's it's not a lot of money for the benefits that that program mm. really gives people. And it's just um, really short-sighted for them to cut that program. Definitely. Most Definitely. And I know there's another program that <laughs> we both relied on. I mean, they're just cutting everything, folks. <laughs> I'm like, it's really depressing. Um, we're just going through the list here. <laughs> um, but subsidized loans. Yeah. A lot of people, I mean, can you just explain really briefly? Because a lot of people might not even realize that they had a subsidized loan or yeah. why that's
2: so important. It's Subsidized loans are a, a big deal. Um, and I'm so sorry they're coming after this program. But uh, so subsidized loans... Uh, are basically loans by where the they don't so the interest that you get on your loans the federal government agrees to pay sort of while you're in school and the grace period when you're you know, just graduated and then if you ever go back to school they pay that interest um, so that's really important to know um, and it makes it a lot more affordable of a loan which sort of kind of like is makes it easier to, to pay back um, and so they have proposed you know, cutting subsidized loans for folks, um, and in 2015, 2016, that's over 6 million students that borrowed mm-hmm. more than $23 billion um, in subsidized loans, and the majority of these students have a Pell Grant, so these are <laughs> low-income students that rely on these dollars. Um, and it's it's crazy. For everybody that can hear Sarah's banging on her chair I in know, frustration <laughs> with the House Republican so budget. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to go after these loans. I mean, it would essentially ensure that, again, from an equity standpoint, the folks who need aid the most to go to college would have a much harder time paying down the debt that they have to accrue to go. Um, and it just, you know, it's it's atrocious. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, what one of the
0: most important pieces of that is college is becoming so unaffordable. And Mm -hmm. the idea that we're not just going to have the tuition, but interest payments stacking one on top of each other and make that worse for low income people is just incredibly offensive. Um, So. We've got a lot to do to yeah. tell the Republican caucus that this budget is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, visit resistancenearme.org. Um, and, Sarah, where can people find you? What's your Twitter handle?
2: So my Twitter handle is at Sarah underscore A underscore Garcia. A <laughs> really popular name, so it's a little <laughs>
0: long. <laughs> well, go follow Sarah on Twitter. Go to AmericanProgress.org for more information. And we'll be right back after the break. This is The Leslie Marshall Show. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real
3: Talk 8886 Leslie.
0: All right everyone, welcome back. I'm Maggie Thompson with Generation Progress here at the Center for American Progress hosting the Leslie Marshall show. This hour, we are talking about higher education and what is going on on Capitol Hill. If you have questions during the hour, always feel free to call in. We are at 888 6 Leslie. That's 888-653-7543. Um, at the top of the hour, we are talking about the House Republican budget and all of the frankly, terrible things it's doing um, to cut higher education programs. But we wanted to end on an up note because there is also a great bipartisan thing that is moving on the Hill and we have to help push it across the finish line. And so here in the studio with me is Walter Ochenko with an organization called Veterans Education Success to talk to us a little bit about a GI Bill expansion that's being considered on the Hill this week. Welcome to the show, Walter.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Well, Walter, so I think that, you know, one of the things that we were just talking about is for people that aren't service members or families of a of service member, it might be helpful for them to just get a primer about the, the GI Bill and yellow ribbon benefits and sort of what those do for um, a, a veteran.
1: Sure. So the, uh, the new GI Bill, uh, which is called Post 9-11 GI Bill, um, anybody who served after uh, the uh, 9-11 attacks uh, in the United States is eligible for this uh, benefit. And uh, it was enacted in 2008 and implemented in August of 2009. So it is much more generous than the previous GI bills. Uh So, for example, it offers uh, not only tuition and fees, but it also offers a generous housing stipend and a book stipend. That's awesome. A lot of veterans that are going to school are older, they're married, they work. And so it's important for them, uh, if they're taking time out of their lives, to be able to support themselves too, so the housing benefit is very important.
0: Yeah, so not your grandfather's
1: yeah. GI Bill, right? New and improved. So, and the Yellow Ribbon Program. I mean, you know, essentially, if you go to a public institution, uh, it covers your tuition and fees. If you go to a private school, either for profit or nonprofit, there's a cap on how much is paid. It's adjusted annually for inflation. Right now, it's about twenty-two thousand mm-hmm. dollars. But if you're going to Harvard, that's not enough.
0: Yep. So yep.
1: the Yellow Ribbon Program basically. Um, Depending on your, if you're 100% eligible, because eligibility is based on qualifying uh, months of service, uh, if you're 100% eligible, you, um, the school and VA will match uh, and help to cover that gap. They could cover all of it or part of it.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I think that you know one of the things that we were just talking about um, when you came in is uh, you know the GI Bill, the, the post-9/11 GI Bill is such a great program and it helps so many people. Um, so some people might say, like, why expand it? What, what, is, what was the um, reasoning behind uh, this, this expansion moving forward?
1: So there, was a, there, are, there are shortcomings in the bill. You know, for, for example, when the bill was first introduced, I don't think that Reserve or National Guard qualified at all. Wow. And there was a change made in 2011 uh, that allowed them to participate. But there are still some limitations in the participation. So this bill addresses some of those.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, let's talk a little bit about this. I think one of the most exciting things about this to me was that this is actually moving forward on a bipartisan basis. It seems like the committee on the Senate side and on the House side are working together and really want to get this thing done.
1: Right. That that is true.
0: It's It's very rare right
1: now. It's the one one area of bipartisan consensus.
0: (laughs) It still exists, folks. (laughs) um so let's just walk through a little bit um one of the things that you and i work on a lot is sort of protecting um, veterans and servicemen members students and borrowers against sort of predatory schools that want to take advantage of them to get at their benefits um you know we've seen with the closure of it tech and corinthian a lot of students left on the hook um, for their student loans but there was a really important um part of those closures and what happened to those students that um, we really needed to fix with service members. So could you just talk through that section of the bill and what what this means for service members that maybe got screwed over by a predatory school?
1: Sure. For a couple of years uh, since uh, Corinthian closed, uh, there's been a general discussion on the Hill about restoring benefits uh, for people who were at closed schools. Um, It's an expensive proposition. And um, last Congress, there were several proposals which were frankly skimpy, (laughs) Uh, essentially what they would have done is they would have restored benefits for the term uh, you were enrolled in when the school closed Mm -hmm. so you might get like four months worth of eligibility back and the way the proposals were written they actually didn't benefit anybody who went to ITT because ITT didn't close during a term it closed in between terms Mm -hmm. so these were you know issues with uh, legislation from last Congress So, as it turns out, what was actually included in the House bill is a version of one of these um, uh, proposals that really had defects. Um, You know, I think uh, there there was another proposal by Senator Luke Messer, I'm sorry, Representative Luke Messer from Indiana, uh, which would have restored full benefits. Uh, But that wasn't what was incorporated into the House bill. I think uh, when the bill was actually published and people realized what was in it, they started scrambling to see, you know, this doesn't really seem fair. We're giving, putting a lot of dollars into mm-hmm. improvements for for uh, other people who haven't yet gone to school, uh, but we're not really taking care of those who really kind of were swindled out of their benefit.
0: Yeah, and just to zoom out a little bit for for people that maybe aren't familiar with. Uh, Schools like ITT Tech and Corinthian and sort of the for-profit college industry, um, you know, these are really predatory institutions. A lot of them are publicly traded company. I personally don't think higher education is something should be making, you know, companies should be making big bucks off of, but this sector exists. and. Um, you know, could you just talk about like some of the things that you've seen in terms of the misrepresentations or things that veterans you work with have had to go through because of some of these schools?
1: Sure. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you a, an example from a veteran that we've uh, actually worked with. Um, so this individual went to Brown Mackey Nursing School in, mm-hmm. um, I think, in Missouri. Um, he was. It's interesting because he was actually for nine months a recruiter in ITT, and he told us that I should have known. <laughs> that I should really be careful. But he kind of was taken in by what he was told by Brown Mackey. And what he didn't realize when he enrolled is that it was only provisionally accredited. Now, this is important because if you're going to a nursing program, to order to practice nursing, you have to take the nursing licensing exam. And all the time that he was enrolled there, the school kept telling him, you know, don't talk to the accreditors when they come because if we lose our accreditation, you're screwed.
0: Ugh.
1: Um and on top of that's that... That's a
0: bad sign. If yeah, anybody's at a school that's telling you that right now, reach out to Walter and his organization.
1: <laughs> another problem that he found is is that, you know, he was getting uh, student financial aid. You know, this is an annual process. So um, after his first year, he went, to the, he went to the financial aid office and said, you know, I know it's time for me to fill out the FAFSA again. And they said, oh, don't worry about that. We've already done it for you. Well, that's fraud. I oh. mean, you know, you can't you can't fill out the FAFSA for someone and sign it for them without their... Well, mm-hmm. Consent.
0: Mhm. And just and really, I think for people to understand why schools do this, that there's a, this is the profit incentive at work. They they're signing those papers so they can get that loan money, that Title IV money, that GI Bill money in the door, whatever type of benefits a student is eligible for. Um, they want that as a, as a revenue source. So it's really a. Um, misaligned set of incentives when you have a school that's interested in making money.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the business model of these schools is is basically called churn. They don't Mm -hmm. care whether you stay because once they've gotten your money, they'll go out and and they spend enormous amounts on recruiting, very little on instruction. And so they'll just go out and recruit more people to replace you.
0: That's right. That's right. And I think that's one of the the things that if if, uh, if the school that you're going to has some really flashy com- com- commercials or um, we know the University of Phoenix, for example, has a had a big stadium deal to name the University of or, or the Arizona Cardinals. I'm sorry, uh, football stadium. I think they paid over one hundred and fifty million dollars for that those naming rights, but they don't have a football team. So those types of things, you know, um, when a school is spending money on flashy advertisements and stadium deals, they're probably not um, spending their money on tuition and instruction and making sure that uh, you're getting the best education product. Um, I know we've worked with a couple of students that said that their instructors were teaching them with YouTube videos or maybe would forget which course they were supposed to be teaching halfway through the semester because things were changing on, on a rolling basis.
1: Or they don't show up and there's substitutes. And, and, you know, rather than having a consistent teacher for the whole course, they have, you know, a series of substitutes who don't really know much.
0: Yep, exactly. So there's a lot to be done to make sure that, you know, our our service members earn these benefits and they should be able to take their GI Bill and get a quality education um, so that's one element of this is if you were ripped off by your school um, when they close this uh, um, is a path for service members to get their GI Bill benefits restored um, but that's not that's not all it does that's that's for folks that are sort of have been through the ringer and gone to a bad school <laughs> process but there's a lot of other great things in this bill that make the, that expand the benefits and also make them more flexible for service members so could you talk through just a couple of the other things this bill does
1: Sure. Uh, I think one of the first things I'd mention is that uh, the nickname for this bill is the GI Bill Forever. And the reason is because. I didn't even uh, know that, Walter. (laughs) (laughs) The reason is because uh, currently there is a cap. Uh, You have to use your uh, post 11 GI Bill within 15 years. So this bill removes the cap for people, for individuals who start using the benefit uh, after it's enacted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if later in life you decide that, you know, you need some re education, you're able to (laughs) to use the benefit. Um, Or. You know, for example, um, you know, if you're on, on active duty, you can transfer your um, uh, benefits to your spouse or your dependents. And this bill would um, basically allow those individuals. I mean, if, you know, if you're 30 years old and you have a five-year-old son, they're not going to use that benefit right yep. away. Mm-hmm. So.
0: No, exactly. And I think one of the things as I was just reading um, some of the testimony of people really um, pushing for that particular part of the bill was also just, you know, some... You know, veterans are—you know—if they're suffering from PTSD, if they just aren't ready to go back and get that education, that this gives them the time that they need um, to, you know, not lose their benefits, not rush themselves into something they might not be set for. Right. Um, So, I mean, I think uh, it also um, expands sort of the um, ability for families of the fallen and other sort of um, folks to to. Access GI Bill or y'all urban benefits is is that right?
1: Yes. So uh, for example, um, there's a part of the GI Bill where if you're a survivor, uh, so your your parent uh, or parents were killed in action. In fact, someone we work with at a great organization called Transition Assistance Program for Survivors, both of her parents were killed. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so um, you know she used their the, uh, their GI Bill benefits to go to school. She went to American University, got a great degree. Um, So, essentially, this will open up the Yellow Ribbon Program to survivors also. So, currently, they're not eligible for the Yellow Ribbon Program. So, you know, if you go to American University, it's pretty expensive. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, this person I know at TAPS actually had to take out loans. But in the future, you know, the school will be able to participate in the Yellow Ribbon Program and help close that gap.
0: That just seems... Right and right. common sense. Right. <laughs> well, hopefully, it shouldn't be controversial. And you know, um, Walter, what what is the path um, to getting this done? What has to happen next? And um, are there things that we should be doing now?
1: So the um, the bill was actually uh, introduced, I think, on Thursday, last Thursday. Um, there was a hearing, legislative hearing, yesterday evening at 7:30. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of back and forth. A lot of concerned, for example, about the restoration of benefits provision that was so skimpy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so the uh, House has already, um, I think, released a, uh, a modified version, a, sort of a substitute. There will be a committee markup on uh, Wednesday. And um, I'm not sure exactly what the schedule is for the bill to go to the floor, but probably uh, either later this week or sometime next week.
0: All right. So fingers crossed it'll yes. get done fast.
1: And in the meantime, the Senate is uh, also working on uh, parallel provisions. I, I think there's a lot of agreement. Um, I think there's some disagreement, for example, on uh, the restoration of benefits
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and um, some other provisions that are of concern because it looks like it opens the door to predatory schools.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, and it just seems... Again, that's a. I, I hope they make that fix because I think it's it's common sense that if you served your country and you had this benefit and you went to a school that ripped you off, you should be able to take those benefits with you and go somewhere that will okay. give you a quality education. Um, so uh, the Congress, let's, let's get that part fixed, yeah. and then we'll be really excited about this one and all the great all right. things it does. Um, and I wanted to go back um, before we wrap up here, Walter, to something that you said about – Um, the student that you worked with that had to take out loans um, anyway, um, despite the fact that she had these GI Bill benefits. I think that one of the things uh, we've found is that most people think veterans are set um, and don't have to take out loans when they go to school because of the GI Bill, but college is getting so expensive that that's just not the case. We talk a lot about the student debt crisis, and that is absolutely something that is affecting the veterans and service member community.
1: Yeah, you know, I I think one thing that has happened, um, you know, is that, The new GI Bill was implemented in in, uh, August of 2009. Since then, I think fewer veterans have had to take out loans, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that veterans aren't taking out loans. Um, You know, I I mentioned that there are qualifying levels for the program. Mm -hmm. So if you only serve 90 days after uh, 9-11, you're only eligible for 40 to 50% of the benefit. That means you get 40% of the tuition, 40% of the housing benefit, and 40% of the book stipend. So there are individuals, uh, about 30% of JAB uh, Bill users through 2015 were only eligible for, um, 30% were not eligible for the full benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are individuals who might have to borrow. Um, there are also individuals who choose not to use the JAB Bill immediately. They, mm-hmm. They're they going to a community college. They're, if you're a... Um, uh, a veteran who's who's in the reserves and mm-hmm. um, uh, the guard uh, there are scholarships that most mm-hmm. states offer and so you may choose not to actually use your benefit then save it for uh, getting a bachelor's degree or right, a, when you can
0: go full-time right when you can go full time, it's full-time. more expensive yep
1: um, but, you know, on the other hand, the, uh, the scholarship they're getting may not be adequate, and so they they may be taking out loans. So there are many reasons why uh, veterans can borrow or, or need to borrow, even though we have they have a very generous benefit that should minimize that. Yeah. And, in fact, we've seen that, you know, um, the proportion of, of veterans that are uh, not borrowing is up.
0: Got it. Well, Walter, you know, this is, I think that, both for people to get in touch to push for good things like the GI Bill expansion, but also, also especially if you're listening and you or one of your friends or family members is a veteran or service member that's been ripped off or thinks they might have been ripped off by their school, um, where can people get in touch with Veterans Education Success?
1: So uh, we have a uh, website. It's called www.veteranseducationsuccessalloneword.com. Uh, I'm sorry, dot .org. Dot We yes, got
0: it. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, and there's information there on, on uh, you can uh, file a complaint. You can reach out for help. We have a legal uh, director. Uh, and we also now have a um, I'm forgetting what we're calling this position, but um, a, a veterans advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of, one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to make veterans' voices heard. Mm-hmm. So um, we're contacting veterans that have reached out to us for help, and we're saying, you know, you should become active about this. You need to go – you need to write a letter to your congressman or your senator. Yep. Um, we recently had a meeting uh, in uh, Colorado with uh, a member of the House Veterans Affairs Committee, and four veterans came and talked about their experiences there. That's awesome. Yeah, and it, I think it's eye-opening because uh, a, lot of, a lot of times we hear from members that, gee, I don't have anybody in my district that I've, I've heard had a problem. So I think putting a face to the problem really makes a difference.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think folks ask for help. That's Walter Olchenko. Visit his organization, www.veteranseducationsuccess.org. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Walter.